Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Jim Voss, an expert in the field of electronics. He got involved in illegal wiretapping while working for the mobster Mickey Cohn. Jim's story is vividly portrayed in the 1955 film, The Wiretapper. Listen as he recounts his conversion, allows Christ to fully enter his heart, and how God helps him find answers to difficult decisions he faced. Today's message is about being a missionary at home. I guess largely because of publicity that had been given to the incident, I was afforded opportunity to travel into many parts of the country. For eight years, in many churches, schools, colleges, the armed forces, opportunities to speak for the Lord. People often ask me why I'm doing the kind of job I'm doing now in New York when there are so many opportunities to be out speaking in churches across the nation. Why don't you devote all of your time to evangelism? I'm often re- this question is often asked. And I think really it goes back to another decision. Several years ago, I had just returned from a series of meetings in the East to my home in the West. Shortly after I arrived, I didn't feel too well. I thought I was weak with the flu or some similar infection. And I went to lift a heavy piece of equipment in my garage and my knees just buckled from underneath me. I almost collapsed. Thinking I'd better go into the house and rest, I tried to make it up the stairs and I just couldn't make it again. I collapsed. Later I learned I had been stricken with poliomyelitis. Sister Kenny, the renowned specialist in polio, was the one that examined me when I was brought to the hospital. And she read off her findings basically thought that I probably would not walk normally again, that I'd be in the hospital for 11 or 12 weeks. It would be six months to a year before I could think of returning to any kind of work. And you know, I wondered at that time, God, why me? Why me? You know, so often we're prone to raise a question when God brings us through the difficult place in life. And this was me. I was saying, Lord, why, why did you do this to me? And I was reminding the Lord of all the things I'd been doing for him. <laughs> Several portions of scripture came to mind. One, if you've run with a footman and they've wearied thee, how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they wearied thee, how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? But the thing that I think bothered me most in all of this. You know, I think at times God has to get us down to really talk to us. But I think the thing that bothered me most, I had often said, I'll go any place you want me to go. And somehow God brought these things in review before my mind. I'll go any place you want me to go. You know, that's an easy thing to say as long as you can speak in the biggest pulpits of the land, as long as you can travel in the comfort of the jet, stay in the nicest hotel, meet the nicest people. It's easy to say, God, I'll go any place you want me to go. And I got to thinking at that time, a number of years ago, but I got to thinking, would I really go any place God wants me to go? And... I sensed that there was so much of pride 
and so much of self, and so much in which I, I felt that God needed to do something with me and for me. And well, it's difficult again to tell the whole process, but in the end, I said to the Lord, if I never walk again, I really will go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything. And I thought at the time the place where I would rebel the most would be the slums. I thought of the slums of Los Angeles, the Skid Row. That, I'd never go there. And I finally said to the Lord that day, though I realized not even that much what was involved, I said, Lord, really, I'll go any place you want me to go, even if it means the slums, even if it's Skid Row. And so another decision was made, and I guess really I didn't realize all that was involved in that one. And then it was in 1958, conducting a series of lectures at the state penitentiary in Pennsylvania. I met a teenage boy, committed for life to prison. He said, Mr. Voss, why will guys like you talk to us in a place like this? Why don't you reach us before we arrive? I'd read a series of articles in Life magazine about the problem in New York. Curious, I'd conducted some research, found that there were these 14 areas with a high rate of juvenile crime. The highest rate for the smallest geographical area anywhere in the world, this one and three-tenths square miles, housing 196,000 people. And I thought I'd like to conduct an experiment to see if a person could somehow reach and redirect the lives of these kids, particularly those involved in these dangerous gangs, ones that were using weapons of all sorts. And, and so I decided in the early part of 1958 to go into that section and try to reach them. As far as I was concerned, it was an experiment. I thought I'd devote maybe three, four, five months to the project. I moved into the back of this old tenement house, took up residence there. It was an experience, living in the midst of this filth and fear, frustration, a real experience. I'm not here to tell the story of this project or operation tonight, except to say that in the months that followed, it involved me and some rather difficult times. We've had about everything happen could happen. We've been shot at. We've been bombed. We've had place burned. It hasn't been easy going. And I think the biggest, or I won't say the biggest, but certainly one of the most difficult decisions was mine to make just a year ago last June when I was tossed between two choices. Shall I turn over the result of this work to an existing organization and go back to my work in evangelism? Or shall I continue on? I thought and weighed what would be involved in bringing my family from the West. I thought of the many opportunities to continue on and travel and ministry of that kind. It's so easy to say, well, this is for the Lord and that's the way to go. Well, to make a long story short, I finally decided to give the rest of my life to this one square mile with the hope and prayer 
in my heart that God would enable us to prove statistically that there is an answer. I believe God used two things in making this choice and decision. One, a hymn, So Send I You, to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend, though it be blood, to spend and spare not, so send I you to taste of Calvary. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. In many respects, since launching this project, it's been the most difficult period in the whole of my life. But I believe the most rewarding, the most joyous, the most satisfying. Not the easiest path, but the happiest one. I'm often asked, in view of statistical successes recorded by the city of New York, Mr. Voss, what do you believe is the answer to this problem? I could spend a lot of time telling you about the medical phase of our program, the dental care we give to the children. I could tell about how we stand with them in the courts when they're in trouble, the time we spend in their homes, in their hangouts, the various methods we employ to try to get into their hearts. I could cite case history after case history of real concrete results, but the results, the answer, is not in our program or in our staff. The only answer is Jesus Christ. I believe that he alone can transform and change a life. If I did not believe in that power, I would go back to my profession in the field of electronics. My only regret, the attitude so often on the part of the church toward the need in its own backyard. I remember the first time I got in trouble and one of the officials of the church that told me, never darken the doorstep of this church again. Leave our young people alone. You go your way and we'll go ours. And when I came to the crossroads of life, they left me. I believe that there are many people today in the church that are interested in missions as long as missions are removed by many miles. But when they come face to face with the problem in their own backyard, when they come face to face with the need in the lives of individual people they work with, they go to school with, they live next to, they shun their responsibility and they leave these people literally at the crossroads. I believe as Christian men and women we have a responsibility before God to let the world know that Christ is the answer. And you do not accomplish this by standing on a street corner and preaching or by distributing printed literature. I believe the most effective way to reach the world with the gospel of Christ is through the individual life. 
just living and loving takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of love. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone into one of these tenements. The people have offered me an orange crate or an apple crate for a chair. And in an attempt to be hospitable, have pulled a dirty cup from the pile, wiped the spoon clean with her fingers, poured a cup of the thickest coffee you ever saw in your life. I often think of that ad on television, you know, where it comes up out of the cup. <laughs> well, I, I don't like coffee in the first place. But I've often thought, as I've been surrounded by this kind of living, I've often prayed, Lord, give me a real love for people. Not the kind you just talk about and you say, I've got it. But the kind that's real and that flows over from the life that can come alone from the indwelling presence of Christ. Give me your love and your concern. I often think of the little chorus, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me and may I humbly do my part to win that soul for thee. Not hard to love the nice people, but to those that are dirty, to those that are, as many say, unreachable. All oh, their people in all walks of life. You can reach them with his love. God has a perfect pattern for your living. I believe he has a pattern for the lives of kids involved as these have been, and I wish you could see the transformation in their lives, the changes. Remember the first time I ever took a load of them for a ride in a station wagon, their filthy songs, their dirty stories, and I thought I'd never stand it. Not many nights ago, I was walking down a street in East Harlem, the kids love to stand in the little stoops, you know, just inside the door. In the hallways, their voices kind of reverberate, and, and they love to sing. But as I walked down the way, I heard a group of kids singing that old hymn, Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar to the many duties ever near you now be true. Brighten the corner where you are. We've seen kids' lives out of these dark areas really lighten up the community, reach into the lives of many others. And you say, well, that's just what they need. These kids need to know Christ. But you know, there are some of you that are in this place tonight that need to know him just as much as those kids do. Maybe you cover up under the cloak of righteousness within the church. Maybe you sing the hymns. Maybe you teach a Sunday school class. Christianity is not this. Oh, this may be a part of it, but true salvation comes when we truly, personally commit our heart and life to Jesus Christ. When we submit to his authority, he brings a change. 
and the most important decision you'll ever face in life and the most difficult one you'll find to make because all the powers of Satan are against you will be that decision of personal commitment of your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And as you weigh it, you'll think of all the problems, the insurmountable barriers. You'll say it's impossible. God can do nothing for me. I know how you feel. I stood in the same place. And with trembling heart, said that night to him, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And by his power and by his grace and in his strength, he worked the miracle. Nothing I could do, he did it all. What he did for me, what he's doing for those kids, he can do for you. But the decision is all yours. Shall we pray? Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.